Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Hello, and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. I'm Roy Richards, and today we're going to talk about two very difficult subjects, preparing for death of a loved one and carrying on and recovering after a loved one is gone. And sooner or later, if you haven't already lost someone near and dear, at some point it's just about 100% certain that one or more dear friends or immediate family members will pass away. After all, our parents aren't getting any younger, so it's only natural that before too long, one or both mom and dad will pass on. Spouses and life partners sometimes die before their time, suddenly through an accident, stroke, or heart attack, or suffering from a painful lingering illness like cancer or Lou Gehrig's disease, as a couple of many. And no one wants to outlive their children, but once in a while this tragic event occurs. My wife, Gloria, and I lost our young adult daughter, Kristen, when the plane she was piloting crashed on the last day of 2006. And most of us consider death of a loved one to be a painful ending, but once you learn the story of my first guest today, Eric Stogner, I'm certain you will be inspired. Eric lost his wife, Katie, in 2009 following a long battle with breast cancer, but wait until you hear about the preparations being made for Katie in heaven. In fact, I'm hopeful that you will come to view death of a loved one in a whole new light, not as a tragic ending, in fact, uh, your own death as well, but as a joyous transition to the next stage, a presence for all eternity, uh, as Eric puts it, in God's country, an experience far more glorious than uh, any of us humans can even imagine. And Eric also hopes the story will help you once and for all conquer your fear of death. It's not something to be afraid of. And here, Eric's, uh, here's Eric Stoner, uh, Stoner's uh, bio, Eric Stogner, I should say. He's a manager of kitchen design for Chick-fil-A, the chain of casual dining and carryout restaurants that's headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. He's worked as an engineer, designer, and innovator in the restaurant industry for over 22 years. He's former coach, and I was going to say Boy Scout, but it's not Boy Scout anymore. It's just Scout, (laughs) they announced today, and a leader in the church and the uh, local Christian community, and uh, he's co-authored with Jim Dobkins of a brand-new book uh, just out in November, Into God's Country, Dreams and Visions Show a Believer's Passage to Heaven. And hello, Eric Stogner, and we are indeed blessed to have you with us here today. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, before we get into those wonderful, comforting dreams and visions that you and others experienced, surrounding your wife uh, Katie's passing. Tell us about your prior image of God. I think God must have been a Swiss. <laughs> I know you were a Christian, but didn't you envision God as kind of a hands-off, uh, benevolent clockmaker or something like that? 
Well, well, exactly. I mean, I I grew up in the faith. Some people can point to a day when they came to faith or had yeah. a, had that faith conversion experience. Yeah. And to be frank, I just can't remember a time I wasn't a believer. Yeah. And so on one hand, I grew up in the church, was very comfortable with my faith. But on the other hand, I would say uh, learning about faith, it was a little bit like reading a textbook. It's sort of yeah. you're learning a lot of head knowledge. But where's the Lord in everyday life? And so yeah. in some ways, it seemed like the Bible was filled with a lot of stories of stuff that happened back in Bible times, but not yeah. not today, not in our modern world. Yeah, that's so true. Well, uh, as described in your book, your concept of God and his love and concern for each and every one of us changed dramatically in a dream you had on September 18, 2009, well, I believe that was while your wife was in the final stages of her battle with cancer. And can you uh, tell us a few highlights of that dream? It's so fascinating. Yeah, and I would actually say this was like the pinnacle capstone of a long journey of sort of a growing awareness of um, the Lord's presence in our lives and that he, he kept showing up in more and more and, and louder and louder ways. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, the dream vision experience of that day was just sort of blew your socks off kind of thing or blew my socks off. Yeah, it um, So briefly, um, you know, it was uh, towards the end of the whole cancer journey. I didn't realize how close it was towards the end. And that particular night didn't seem any different than any other. I'd gone to sleep and and um, just like any other night, normally quite worn out, frankly, because that happens when you're a caregiver yeah. uh, to someone going through cancer. You're just constantly, you know, on call and yeah. you know, putting yourself out in ways you just never knew you could or would. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I woke up for no good reason at 4 in the morning and was hmm. wide awake, which that was unusual. Yeah. And I glanced at the clock, and I thought, okay, I don't know why I'm awake, but I know I could use more sleep even though I actually feel pretty refreshed. Yeah. And I seemed to just go right back to sleep, and hmm. then, boom, I find myself in another place. It literally hmm. seemed like I was in another place, and I don't hmm. I don't have dreams. I don't remember many dreams. Uh, it's very rare, honestly, to even recall most dreams. And when you do, like, they just seem very nonsensical, kind of random, you know, not not able to make sense of it. This was just the opposite. It felt mm. as real and tactile and physical as any moment in our waking lives. Um Yeah, you so said it was, even, of, it was much more than a dream, and it, because of that, I guess, it uh, well, yeah, I mean, so, you know, in a dream, normally I guess you're sort of a passive observer, but I, I had all my faculties in the sense of I could think, I could think about what was happening, I could move, I could, it was very, very real, and yeah. I, again, I'm just not even used to that happening, yeah. and uh, and it seemed very, um, very earthly in the sense of it was a house with a room and huh. all the normal things you would expect to see, tables, chairs, those kinds of things. Except and, there was um, an angelic figure in the corner. <laughs> well, yes, and I and and it immediately caught my attention. Like, yeah. who's that? And that's when this reality dream had an element that I had never experienced either. Where I all I can describe is um, it was like almost like a mind meld was going on, and I, without even hearing words or having conversations, I could tell that I was being made to know certain things. Hmm. 
if that makes sense. Like yeah. I could look at something and suddenly I knew things about that object or or about the room that no one actually told me. It's just like whoop, I knew. Huh. And I couldn't even explain why I knew. It was just someone was beaming thoughts into my head. Wow. Um, so um, what's interesting, and I'll try and tell this as quickly as I can, because, yeah. frankly, sometimes I can take an hour just talking about <laughs> the dream. Yeah. But um, this, I described it as an angel in white whose hmm. um, face glowed like the sun. It was so brilliant white that if you tried to look at it, it's like looking at the sun. You just yeah. can't make out anything, just a ball of glowing whiteness. So I kind of cast my gaze down, and I could see, you know, this was a person in a, in a robe, white robe, and, you know, probably shoes and other, other articles of clothing. It was basically like a white robe. Yeah. And the three-quarters of my quote-unquote live dream experience, there was no dialogue. I just saw an arm gesture, and I knew that meant, come, follow me. And um, this being in white, whose face I couldn't see, walked through a series of three different rooms without uttering a word and would just pause at each room and gesture into the room as, as as if to say, behold, and I would sort of stand over their shoulder and kind of look into the room. And what I saw in room number one was was um, tables and chairs just yeah. gathered around in a room, uh, place settings at them. And I thought, okay, that's nice. Someone's going to have a meal. I didn't really think much of it. Um, and we walked through the first room and went to a second room. And again, more tables and chairs, only in the second room, these tables and chairs were much nicer. You could see that there was, like, fine china and, like, a plate inside a plate and not just three pieces of silverware. There's probably five or six pieces of silverware and, you know, some stemware, maybe a wine glass, and the tables had centerpieces on them. And uh, what struck me in the second room is that two of the walls had floor-to-ceiling glass. And, you know, I'm just – I literally felt very real. And if I were – if this were happening to me in real life – I would be looking around the room, sort of making assessments like, where am I, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And as I looked out the window trying to gauge, like, where am I? Is this, am I near the ocean? Am I in the mountains? Yeah. And I could see some shrubs and gla- grass in the foreground. And then from there, it was totally white. And I mean white like cotton ball white, almost like when you're in a plane yeah. and you're ascending through clouds. And just before you break through on, and there's sun on top, you look out the window and it's just all cotton white everywhere. Yeah. That's what the landscape looks. So I realized, okay, I guess I'm not going to gain any insight as to where the heck I am, yeah. you know, by looking out the window. I'm obviously, yeah. you know, it's being hidden from me. Yeah. And again, no words were said and we walked through that room into the final room. Hmm. In the final room, we strode into the middle of this room and again, not a word was said yeah. and and he just gestured as, as if to say, behold. Yeah. And this room was magnificent. Hmm. Um, it felt like being in Buckingham Palace or the Biltmore Estate or something like that, the most magnificent room I'd ever been in, ever. Hmm. And, again, filled with tables and chairs and seats, and now it was like sterling silver and fine china and candelabras with candles burning and a huge fireplace and a grand piano with the lid open. I mean, I couldn't describe the level of detail that is down to a T. Yeah. And uh, I remember standing there thinking, you know, this is nice, but, you know, where are we? What, what is the point of this? Yeah. And it's funny, 
I almost wanted to, I started to leave the room <laughs> as if I was going to go, I grab a camera because I thought I need to take a picture of this. <laughs> and uh, so it's all very commonplace, you know, it felt very normal to me until I'm starting to leave. And then, you know, this angel in white, his face I still can't see, yeah. reaches out, grabs my arm as if to say, like, don't go. Yeah. And I pause and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're here. And that's when things got interesting. He yeah. Then the first words were spoken, and in the most matter-of-fact way, without any kind of tone or anything that was in any way negative, uh, I hear the words, you know she's leaving soon. Hmm. That's what I heard. You yeah. know she's leaving soon. Hmm. And in my head, I was made to know, your wife Katie is dying soon. Now, that's not yeah. the words I heard. No. But that's what I was made to know. Yeah. And um, after that point, I had honestly been in, like, neutral gear. I wasn't happy, sad. Yeah. I wasn't emotional in the least. It was like walking on a guided tour of a mansion. That's all yeah. the emotion I felt. Yeah. As soon as I heard these words, just all the pain, the angst, the sorrow, the anger, frustration, everything you could imagine – connected with the loss of a loved one just welled up inside of me like this yeah. i call it like a huge tsunami wave i was just yeah. overcome by those emotions all those emotions let loose that you'd been holding back while you were caring yeah. for your wife and and in that moment without even thinking i i remember spinning around like on my heel and turning mm. to face this person almost like facing your accuser although i wasn't yeah. accused but just facing this bearer of bad, bad news, news. <laughs> And I was so angry, I just thrust my arm out. I wasn't going to punch this person, but I thrust my arm out, and my fingers, I can still remember, like, the look of my hands, like, knurled in pain. And I yelled. And I said, what? You mean I'm losing her? I yelled that out. And then in the same voice, um, the, the, the person says, um, oh, no, you can never lose her, but she's leaving soon. <laughs> and I was so stunned by those words. And the reason I felt stunned is that um, two things shocked me. One is um, uh, the tsunami of pain that I had felt for an instant before I screamed out yeah. had been instantly removed. Wow. Boom. In one second gone. I mean, can you imagine that feeling? Imagine someone takes a knife, stabs you in your stomach and twists it, yeah. and then um, you cry out in pain, and a moment later they remove the knife and you, you feel nothing, and you look yeah. down and your stomach's fine. There's no blood, nothing. You're completely calm, at peace, healed. Oh, wow. uh, that's what it felt like, and it was shocking. Yeah, it's like um, like in the Bible when it talks about God washes away tears. That sounds like what was exactly what was happening there. Yeah, in an instant. I mean, I actually think too of the uh, passage where the disciples are in the boat and they're in a storm and yeah. Jesus is asleep and they yeah. wake him up. Do you not care that we perish? And he first says, "You people of little faith," and then he turns to the wind and waves and rebukes yeah. them, and they're silent. Yeah. And then what do the disciples do? They marveled. They're like. Who are you that even the wind and the waves obey you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and one, I, yeah. Other, one other interesting thing is like when these words spoke, and these are the first and only words of the dream, yeah. 
Um, I heard words, like me speaking to you right now, but in the background, there was a soundtrack. And (laughs) the sound, yeah, it's the weirdest thing. Uh, You know, like baseball players, I guess, have their walk-on music when they're stepping up to the plate. (laughs) There was music being played as as the words were coming out, and it was the most beautiful melodic, harmonic music I've ever heard in my life. I was, like, surrounded by beautiful music. Uh, I mean, to the point, I just wanted to stand there and say, like, oh, please, like, just keep talking. Recite the alphabet. Whatever you want. I just want to hear that heavenly noise again. It was beautiful. Yeah. Well, as if your Um, uh, vivid dream wasn't positive enough, five other people told you about their uh, visions involving Katie, your wife. And uh, can you please tell us a bit about these visions in one friend's dream, I think Katie was, in fact, dancing with Jesus. Yeah, um, that was, you know, so I had that experience, and it really changed my focal point and feeling. Like, I would say 80% of my grief was kind of dealt with during mm-hmm. that experience, and so I kind of was able to move forward from that point um you know, just in a whole nother level. Like I, I, I could cope and face and accept what was to come. Yeah. Um, but I told a few folks in my men's group about it, and one of them had mentioned it to someone they know uh, that I really didn't know this person and said, would you pray for, you know, this family and yeah. this woman who's, um, you know, having cancer, uh, you know, issues, and, you know, they don't know what the future holds. And yeah. within a couple of days she comes back and says, oh, yeah, I had a, I had a dream vision about her. I saw her dancing in the arms of Jesus. That's wonderful. And yeah, that was it. You know, very vivid description, though, of, like, dancing in a white robe with green grass around. And, and uh, you know, so I was told that within about three or four weeks of having my dream. And huh. he took that to be confirmation, like, uh, yeah, that news you heard seems to be confirmed. Oh, that's great. Um but it was a peaceful image, and, and it kind of helped reinforce, like, okay, that, that that sounds like a great image, dancing with Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> well, how, this is a somewhat different type of thing, but I've heard stories of formerly grieving um, survivors who have uh, received comforting personal messages uh, directly from the departed loved ones. In fact, my wife and I received several messages from our late daughter, Kristen, within the first year of her departure. Uh, We found things showed up where they hadn't been before, the kind of things that aren't explained by rationality. Is it fairly uh, common for loved ones, especially those who suffer a sudden unexpected death, to make contact with the living uh, members of the family and assure them that they're doing well? Because I know we got that message from Kristen that uh, she was doing fine, and uh, I don't know if that's – do you run into that quite a bit in your studies or – well, you know, apparently there it is more common than anyone would imagine. And, you, you know, earlier you asked, like, what kind of change have I been through, sort of my view of God being distant versus yeah. being very present and providing comfort. This is part of that. I mean, prior to me having this dream, if someone else had talked to me the way I'm talking to people about this, yeah. I probably would have backed away and said, I- I've never heard about that. We don't talk about that in my church. Yeah. I don't know anyone, you know, who's been through that. But... In the ensuing years since my experience, when I tell my story to other believers, I get one back about mm-hmm. 10% of the time. Yeah. And that, when I say one back, I mean they had a similar experience in a time of angst and pain where an angel in white whose face they could not see, something very similar yeah. comes, 
and always seems to deliver a message of, of peace and comfort. And then likewise, what you just said that um, I've read about and I've, I've heard some stories from other people where, yes, somehow there's some sort of visitation, some sort of, some sort of visit or postcard from the other side, you could almost say that, that they seem to get it, whether it's, and it's not always like the next day. Yeah. It could be the next week, the next yeah. month, um, but it's usually in proximity to when they passed, and it yeah. it gives a real sense of peace and comfort. Yeah, I, I think that uh, definitely people who go through a traumatic type of death, like an accident like Kristen had, that uh, the loved one, I think, wants to send the message that they're fine. I know we had uh, one evidence where uh, this our daughter who was killed uh a lady at a craft show came running over to my wife and said she'd had a message from Kristen who chuckled and said, I'm fine, and it sounded just the way Kristen sounded when she was alive. So, that, uh, you know, I know these kind of messages are sent, and they want to make sure you know they're okay, and then they can move mm-hmm. on to uh, other things after that. Because so, we haven't gotten any messages recently, but uh, we got a number of them shortly after her death. So it, uh, I think that's pretty fascinating. Well, I'm certainly. Well, and no, go ahead. I, I, I was going to say, actually, the uh, of the five other people besides myself who had dreams or visions about her, um, the one I just mentioned, the dancing with Jesus, that was um, while she was still with us, and oh, that was leading up to her passing. Yeah. But then, literally, in the days leading right up to the day she passed, as well as the few few days and a couple weeks after. All the rest of them had these dreams sort of rapid fire. And like you just said, actually, each one had a component of, like, uh, uh, I'm okay. I'm in heaven. Everything's wonderful. Um, Yeah, so so comforting. Well, I'm certain you had prayed diligently for an extended period for your wife Katie's recovery. And as shown, God doesn't always grant us precisely the request we seek, but I'm sure you'd agree that God did send you an alternative miracle by granting you that peace of mind, plus the absolute assurance that uh, Katie is not just okay, but presently is basking in the warmth of God's love. That must be a, you know, feel like a miracle in terms of the way your uh, outlook changed and everything. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the, that's a tricky thing you sort of hinted at there, because on one hand, when I hear other people going through issues like that and they're asking for prayer, I'm praying with them. I really yeah. am. If they yeah. have someone's got cancer and they want healing, I'm praying exactly that as well. Yeah. Um, but then there sometimes comes a time where I have to be sensitive about how I I speak on this subject and what I want to convey in the most sensitive terms I can is like on one hand yes I'm praying with you I hope the Lord chooses to answer our prayers the way we're asking but my challenging question sort of that I try to get around to is like are you willing to accept that he may not choose to answer exactly the way we're asking at this moment and secondly are you ready to accept the idea that if they pass into the kingdom in a real sense, they've been healed and healed at the highest level? You know, they've been healed. I mean, you know, that's not what people are 
asking no. generally. Of course not. Unless in, unless someone they've seen a lot of intense suffering, then they're probably ready to say, yeah, yeah please, no, let them pass and be fully healed. But in most cases, that's not what we're asking for. No. So no, that, I never that's presume. That's such a wonderful, um, uh, the, the healing can occur two ways. One, the person gets better or even perhaps better, you can heal completely by going into uh, the promise into God's country, like you say, and uh, that's a great way to put it. And I get it. That's a hard thing sometimes. Yeah. No, no, no. I want them healed here like, like Jesus healed Lazarus and he yeah. rose from the dead and was yeah. walking around amongst the living again. Can't yeah. we always have that? And sometimes we can. And yeah. sometimes the answer is, no, nope, no, nope, God's got them in the kingdom, and, and they're doing great. And then the next message is, you know what, and he hasn't forgotten you either. No. You're going to do fine, too. He has not yeah. left you or abandoned you either. Well, what inspired you to co-author your acclaimed book, Into God's Country? Did uh, close friends and family members all encourage you to write it? And uh, tell about that inspiring message on your car radio when you were pondering what to do. <laughs> Well, most people were shocked and amazed, as I was. I mean, the whole thing was not something I'd ever experienced and expected. And, you know, as I was thinking about it, part of me was like, this message is just burning inside. I have to get it out. But then I questioned, like, really, you know, is this meant for everybody or is this meant for me? And a couple people helped me kind of reason through, like, you know what, if you had just had your vision alone – then, yeah, it might be kind of a private thing just to comfort you. But then the fact that five other people had visions, most of which you did not know, then when you back up and tell the story together, you realize this is not an isolated personal story. What really is being told is the entire Christian understanding of what death, resurrection, restoration really looks like. So when you back up and look at the mosaic that it kind of forms, it's a very cohesive, universal story. So I realized, okay, um, this is this is a universal thing. And um, even the last dream, which I don't want to give away everything, uh, no. there's lots of good stuff to read towards the end of the book, um, yeah. the last dream brought me in contact with another person who was also um, passing from cancer. In fact, three different women who were passing from cancer. Oh. and. One of the things I asked, um, literally, I'm praying, and it was very clear, like the Lord was bringing me into uh, into their orbit, uh, as it were. And I thought, okay, Lord, what are you doing? Like, is this like a new ministry or calling for me? And because I don't, I'm not feeling it. I don't. I, I'm an engineer. I, I work in the restaurant industry. Um, you know, I I assume that's still my day job. But if you're going to call me and equip me for something else, okay, I'm I'm with you. I'm game. I trust you. Yeah. And I, I got this sense right away, like, no, no, you're not going into the ministry. But these are examples for your book. Yeah, and, and I realize, you know, like you said before, you you read the Bible, you grew up in the church, but a story like this is such an excellent way of getting a point across when uh, you can feel your pain and and what went on in your life and uh, see that example of God's love and healing. It's it's so different from just reading something, and even though the the stories in the Bible are. are Extremely revealing, like you say. People said, "Well, that happened two thousand, six thousand years ago, or whatever." <laughs> I want something that is current and happened now, and and that's what your book certainly presents that uh, that example. But uh, well, exactly. I mean, that is the point: is that the miracles or ways God speaks that you know I used to think happened back in Bible times. Yeah. We're still in Bible times, no. and. <laughs> 
these things can and actually do happen. And uh, so, yeah, it felt like a story that needed to be told. It's funny you bring up that, you know, how I, it's really how I got to the title of the book. Um, pretty much everyone was, you know, encouraging me to like, yeah, write the book. And I write really long emails, so people thought maybe I could write a book, yeah. um, which uh, I learned not necessarily. It takes a professional to write a book sometimes. <laughs> and so uh, that's how I got connected with a ghostwriter to help write a book. So, oh, but. It's funny, um, one person challenged me, and, and he sort of posed, like, well, well, why would you write a book? Like, are you, are you trying to get financial gain out of this? And I was so shocked by the question. I'm, it hadn't even entered my mind. Like, no, no, yeah. it's it's a story burning up inside of me. It's, yeah. it's a story, I think, that will bless others and, and all that. And so it's funny, and I love this story because it tells how the title came, but it also – does another thing I want to do through the book, which is reveal little ways, I call them God's fingerprints, little ways he's actually talking to us, and if we're paying attention, we'll hear it and understand what it means. Sometimes he's just winking at us. There's even a book out there called, like, God Winks and neat little (laughs) stories. So I'm driving in my car, and I'm thinking about this person who posed the question. The only person is like, why would you write a book? And I'm thinking, I'm like, I have a hundred reasons why I should write a book. Why are you even asking that? And I was honestly frustrated, and I'm almost to my destination. And I, I think just to clear my mind, I thought, let's put on the radio. And uh, I just want to listen to a song for the last, like, minute or two of my drive here just to get this out of my head. And I pop on the satellite radio, and it scrolls across the names of the artists sometimes or the song. Yeah. And uh, the w- window immediately popped up, and it said, Reason to Believe, and I didn't recognize the song. I didn't think much of it, so I grabbed the knob and flipped it to the next station, and it said, In God's Country, and I just, I was so shocked. Like, my my analytical brain said, What? And I flipped back and forth with the channel. What did you just say? Reason to Believe in God's Country. Reason to Believe in God's Country. And I'm like, that's it. That's why I'm writing the book, to give people reasons to believe in God's country. And I realized later, like, I think that was the Lord, like, helping me process something that was frustrating and confusing. And what a perfect answer. Six words. Where's the best place for listeners to go to preview and purchase your book? Where should they go to do that? Um, Amazon. It is on Amazon, and uh, I believe an audio version is either available or about to be available. And oh, there's great. a website, www.indogodscountry.com. Okay. And uh, we have a little more background on it and all. But, um, yeah, it's. I'm just amazed to have a book, and I give it out whenever I can to friends and associates who are you know, going through something like this. And I sort of get a sense, like, they could use this. This is going to bless them. No, it's a wonderful book. And I'm convinced that most of us want to believe in a loving God active in human affairs. There's so many uh, harsh words that indicate that that's not the case and that uh, I don't know how they think that uh, this wonderful universe was created without that. But my guest today, Eric Stogner, has written a book that offers some of the most convincing evidence I've ever seen that this is true, that there is a loving God active in human affairs. And God's wisdom is infinitely greater than yours and mine, and we often don't receive the precise outcome we seek in prayer. I'm sure Eric prayed diligently for his wife's recovery, but God's angel insisted she is leaving you soon. 
but God didn't leave Eric forlorn and grieving. Instead, he showed him the glorious life that awaited Katie in, as he puts it, God's country. And death is not something we should fear, either for us or for our loved ones. Indeed, as an old country music hymn once put it, death is our coronation day. And left behind for us are warm memories of our departed, plus the certain assurance we will meet again. And as my mother, uh, I saw her on her final week of life, and I looked at her and said, isn't it great you'll get to see your sweetheart, and that's my dad, of course, again real soon. And I'll always remember how she looked up at me from her hospital bed with a gleam in her eye, and she knew she had nothing to fear. And whether or not you're living with a terminally ill loved one or recently lost a spouse, family member, or dear friend, or maybe you just want to assurance that uh, death is not something to fear. I highly recommend you preview and purchase Into God's Country. Dreams and visions show a believer's passage to heaven by my guest Eric Stogner and his ghostwriter Jim Dobkins. And if you're not presently a believer in the miracle of God's love, you will be after reading this book. And bless you, Eric, for sharing your experience with us today, and best of success with that great book. Well, thanks so much. It was truly my pleasure. Wow. Those are the most inspiring comments from Eric Stogner, I'm sure you'll agree. And I don't know about you, but personally, I've never been less fearful about the next stage after uh, my loved ones and I pass away. And, you know, for believers in the great I Am, as he's called in the Old Testament, the afterlife promises glory beyond imagination. So what wonderful spiritual adventures do you have in mind uh, over, say, the next thousand years before and after your passing? And before we go, it's that time of year when I remind you of our OPENS formula, O-P-E-N-S. That's a formula for midlife renewal and the formula that opens the door to a joyful and productive second half of life filled with energy and accomplishments fulfilling your very own unique destiny. You determine what that destiny is, and then you fulfill it. And you may recall that each letter in the OPENS formula represents one necessary element of midlife renewal. The O represents an optimistic outlook on today, tomorrow, and the long-term future. A sunny outlook on the world around us and our place in it makes all the difference, doesn't it? The P stands for prayer, which we talked about today, which in a broader sense represents spirituality. It's essential that we connect with and seek guidance from a higher power, whether we refer to that power as God, Allah, or the universal intelligence, universal presence. I don't know about you, but I don't have all the answers in my own little brain, and I doubt you do either. The E stands for exercise, and at 40, 55, 62, whatever age, there's no way we're ever going to be sharp, energetic, and at our best if we don't get up, off, up off our rear ends for a physical excursion, exertion at least three or four times a week. Obviously, the best exercise for you will depend upon your age, your present fitness, and the types of physical activity you most like to do. But whatever that is, get moving. The N stands for nutrition, uh, eating neither too little or too much, concentrating on healthy food, drink, and natural vitamins supplements. 
that will energize you, keep your spirits high, and help you achieve and maintain the ideal weight for you. And the letter S, well, perhaps that's the most important of all because it stands for two crucial elements of renewal, sleep and socializing. Obviously, a sound night's sleep is essential for brain focus, energy, and health. And next week, we have a guest scheduled, Sivia Gover, who will coach on the essentials of a restful overnight every night. And uh, the other S is socializing. This is perhaps the most important of all. Getting along well with other folks also is highly necessary to a life of joy and fulfillment. You and I cannot renew our lives in a vacuum. We need to involve a broad range of others, including, of course, our spouse, family, colleagues at work, neighbors, and folks we meet on the street, even those. The word socializing encompasses a wide range of emotions and relationships, romantic love with our spouse or life partner, parenting of our kids, getting along with uh, our boss at work and colleagues and customers at work, and uh, getting along with our circle of friends, neighbors in the community, folks at our church, all kinds of people we have regular uh, contact with. And uh, effective socializing, uh, as you all know, when you think about it, really encompasses giving love, friendship, and respect to all, and uh, hopefully obtaining intimate uh, counsel and love in return, because you can't really love someone that doesn't love you back for long, can you? And I'm certain uh, you'll agree that socializing is the final key to a second half of life, uh, positive and uh, full of joy and a positive outlook. Now, we may not find perfection in all five aspects of the OPENS formula, but for an optimal second half and effective renewal, you will need to address all five. And over the next several weeks, we will feature guests who will coach us in each area. And as you know, my guest today, Eric Stogner, concentrated on the P, our spiritual connection with God. As Eric so clearly demonstrates, God loves and seeks a connection with every one of us, It's greatly to our benefit to make connection with God, and that's where prayer and listening for God's response pays big dividends. And next week, we'll talk about sleep and an optimistic attitude. And please don't forget to preview and purchase my book, A Midlife Challenge Wake Up by Roy C. Richards. It offers a comprehensive midstream roadmap uh, from where we are today to where we want to be, and you get to decide where you want to be. Uh, that's a crucial thing rather than letting someone else direct your life. And it, uh, you'll find my book on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and through our website, MiddleAgeRenewal.com. And now go out and enjoy being alive, and we'll see you all next week on Middle Age can be your best age. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com.